0: Galatians 3, I'll just quote it for you. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law was to bring us to a place at the end of ourselves that we realize we can't live by a system. We have to have a Savior. No longer are we trusting in a system of rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts. I get frustrated You know, because people still today are so caught up in religion that they're caught up in a system of doing this and doing that and not doing this and not doing that when the system in Christ has been done away with. It's not about a system. It's about a Savior and His name is Jesus. It's about trusting in Him and Him alone for your salvation and for your life From this point forward. It's very important guys. Paul spoke about it passionately. We speak about it passionately. Why? I mean some of you have to. Man we've been hearing this every week. We're not under the old law. We get it. We're under the new. We heard it over and over and over again. Man it is so important. It is so important. You want to know why? 1 Corinthians 15.56 says the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. So why was Paul passionate about it? Why was he passionate about new covenant grace and getting people to understand that we're no longer under law? Because the strength of sin comes from the law. The law is what gives sin its power. In fact, the Bible says that because of the law, the trespass increased. The law was against man. And Paul was adamant about it, and we're adamant about it. Why? Because if you can understand and grasp in your mind, and my prayer tonight was, Lord, metanoia. Metanoia tonight. Metanoia. Repent. Let us change our minds in the way we've been conditioned to think. Okay? And let us begin to understand what this new covenant grace is and what you've really done and how good it really is. Let our minds be changed. Because, man, I see people who I believe have given their lives to Christ. Man, they're born again. They have intentions, man. They want to live for Christ. They want to live in victory. But yet, they're still living under condemnation because they're still under law. They're still under that way of thinking. They have to, you have to change the way you think. That's why it's so important to have your mind washed with this word. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Why are we so adamant? Why was Paul so adamant? Because he wanted you to be free from sin. He said, Sin shall have no more dominion over you because you are no longer under the law, now you're under grace. That's why. See, because if we continue to put these, this system in our life of trying to do what's right and do good, and, and we, we become sin conscious. We become conscious when we blow it of our sin in our life if we continue to live under that thinking of the old law. Am I right or am I wrong? Come on, you that are born again. You might have done something bad today. Now, what came to your mind? Did you feel a little condemnation? Maybe? Were you conscious of your sin? Okay, so this is why we preach it. This is why we want you to get it. This is why Paul wanted you to get it. So you're not conscious of that anymore. But when that happens, you begin to understand You think about, in your mind, what Christ has done for you. You realize that you're not perfect, but you're trusting in the one who is. Okay? So when that happens, and when I blew it today, and I didn't say what I needed to to my wife, instead of being sin conscious, I remember what Jesus did for me, and I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. I'm holy. I'm righteous. We have to be righteous conscious. That's why Paul was so adamant about it. That's why we're so adamant about it. Is you're not always looking at your sin. You're looking at the fact that you've been born into his kingdom. And you've been made righteous. The blood has taken away your sin. Not just covered it for a little while. Taken it away. We have to be reminded of this. This. The Bible said, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. Okay? We're free from it. And sin doesn't have any more dominion over us once we understand and realize that we're not a sinner. We've been made righteous. That's who I really am. I'm really a born-again man that's holy, that's righteous. There's no sin in me. There's no sin in you if you're in Christ. Come on, that's wild teaching. Religious people would want to stone you for saying that, that I'm 100% righteous. What it, I mean, they did with Jesus. They were out to stone Him. And Paul, for preaching this very... If anyone knew the law, it was Paul. If anyone knew the law, it was Paul. He, he came up under the teaching of Gamaliel. I mean, you know, he knew the law. He was on his way to kill people for this. That he's preaching about and showing us now. Because he realized that the law brings death. But now that Christ has come, we have life in Christ. Hallelujah. 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 New wine. That's the introduction. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's turn our Bibles to John 2. And I, I'm going to set the stage a little bit. Because, you know, I, 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 man, the more you read the Word, the more it just unfolds you know i mean there's just layers and layers and layers of truth and revelation as you read the word and you allow the spirit of god to begin to counsel you and teach you and show you but i mean you know i find it interesting that you know jesus lived these 30 years you know and now he he's been baptized by John. The dove descends. There's a voice out of heaven. There's affirmation from the Father that said, "Here's my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased." Before he did any ministry, God God loved him because of who he was, not what he did. That's a, that's something for you right there. Okay. Remember that He loves you because of who you are, not because of what you do for Him. I can't. I, it just irks me when I hear people say, "I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this for God. I'm doing." Do you hear people say that? I'm doing all this for God. No, you're man. Well, he did everything for you. Now He's living His life through you. You're not doing it for Him. He's doing it through you. Amen. Help me not get on rabbit trails, Lord. (laughs) But Jesus, he finds himself in this place. He's filled with the Spirit of God. He gets affirmation from the Father, right? And then he goes into the wilderness. What the first Adam couldn't do in defeat the enemy, now the Lord came as a man... God-man, Emmanuel, God with us. Now he's been baptized. Now he's going to begin his ministry. But first he has to go through a test. He goes through a test with the devil in the wilderness. And he overcomes him. We know the story. Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam won. Amen? And he was tempted in all points, like as we are, and yet without sin. So he could come as the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He had a mission. He had a purpose. He had a a job to do, an assignment from his father. And he gets to the place where he's starting his public ministry. Right here, what we're reading about in John 2. He goes and he calls some of his disciples and he says, "'Follow me, for I will make you fishers of men.'" He, the first words he said was repent for the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Change the way you've been conditioned to think. And then I find it interesting that the first public ministry that Jesus does is at a party. Now, do you think this blew the religious away? I mean, a wedding is not like a wedding here. Okay, we have it on a Saturday and then have a rehearsal dinner the night before and a little eating meeting afterwards. These weddings, some of them lasted for weeks. I mean, this was a celebration. They were celebrating, man. They were they they celebrated for weeks sometimes these weddings. And it was up to the bridegroom, I was reading earlier, You know, the bridegroom kind of had to prove himself over the previous year, you know, to make sure that he could take care of his bride even before and leading up to the wedding. And it's much like it is, well, sometimes today. uh, But the bridegroom was responsible for paying for the wedding and the wine and the food and bringing all the people in and that kind of thing. Well, it was no small deal. I mean, they had... Everybody in the community would come, and even from surrounding communities. It says that Mary and Jesus and them, they came from Nazareth to Galilee. Galilee was a small place, but Nazareth was eight or nine miles away. So they they came from there along with other people probably. And there was this big wedding celebration going on. And let's pick up the story in John 2. And we'll just read it together. On the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. I I find this interesting. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Now, I know you think that that sounds a little rude. He should have called his mother, mother, right? But they used this term a little different in that day. In fact, he used this same word to his mother when he was on the cross. If you look at it, the same word he used, woman, behold. Okay? And so we have to understand that Jesus is at a point in his life where it's about his father's business. He understands that he has a mission to complete and things that he must do. And he finds himself at a marriage, at a wedding. You know, the first miracle that Jesus does is at a wedding. How important is marriage to God? You know, I was thinking about it. It's the most holy union apart from us in Christ. It's the most holy union instituted by God himself to create two people for one another, to share their life, to share intimacy with one another. Man, God values marriage. It frustrates me when people come and they make vows not only before the preacher but they're making vows before God and they can't even stay together for one year? And I'm not trying to condemn, man. God forgives you if you've gone through that. And I pray that this time you'll do it right and wait for the one God has for you instead of going out and trying to date and find the one yourself. Why don't you find the one God has for you and quit looking on your own? Amen. But God loves marriage. He values it. And I, I Look, I find it fitting that God himself does his first public miracle at a wedding. You know, where people are being joined together. It talks about us being the bride of Christ. He's our husband. But well, let's go on. So Mary comes to Jesus. They don't have any more. This is a big embarrassment for the bridegroom to run out of wine. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. There's a good truth right there. Whatever Jesus says do, you do it. Don't you think his mother probably had an idea that there was something special about this dude? I imagine he might have done some things at home, though the Bible doesn't say that, and you've mentioned that too. I believe he did. Well, I mean, my goodness, she had her, she had him inside her womb and ain't never been with a man. I mean, he's got to be special. You know? I mean, he started out special. You know? But I imagine through his life, through growing up there in Nazareth, you know, there was—I mean, it wasn't like a halo on his head or nothing—but Jesus don't give bad advice. I imagine when 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 Mary had something going on and and, and, and needed some advice, she probably came to Jesus. Yeah. Jesus never gave any bad advice, did he? You know, so so Mary, she's got a problem, and even though she's the mother of Jesus. She goes to him with her problem and said, They don't have any wine. And let's go on. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. <laughs> then he told them, Now draw out and take it to the master of the banquet. So there's six water jars here. These water jars were used for cleansing, ritual cleansing for the Jews in that day. Before they ate, before they did anything, they had to wash, okay? They had to wash. You know, it doesn't matter how hard you wash the outside, you can't make the inside clean. <laughs> you know, but they were washing themselves with this water. Well, Jesus said, go get these water pots, fill them all the way up. This is a lot of water. They don't have faucets like we have. Okay? They had to go to the well. Have you thought about that? A hump about 180 gallons of water? How long that would take? We see we see them holding that water on their heads walking down the road from the well a mile or two when we go to Africa and India and different places. But they gotta pump, They got to go get 180 gallons of water and bring back. So this is what's going on. Jesus gives them instructions, says, go fill the, the jars. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best wine till now. Amen. So let me get this right. Jesus, my hero, does his first miracle at a wedding, and instead of letting all the guests sober up, He creates wine to let them drink. Come on, that blows some religious thinking away, doesn't it? The first miracle he does was turning water into wine because they ran out of something to drink. Really? I see religious eyes looking at me. You know... This first miracle that he did was a miracle of transformation. It was a miracle where he took one thing. He took the water. See, what it's really talking about, I believe, is the old religion, the old wine had run out. Religion would no longer be a way. The system, the old system was coming to a close, and he's getting ready to establish a new covenant, a better covenant, the Bible says, established on better promises. See, the, the new wine was symbolic, I believe, of the new covenant, of the spirit covenant, not of the natural, but of the spirit of the Lord. See, the Bible says, except you be born of the Spirit, you shall not see the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. The Bible says to be carnally minded or to be naturally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If we look into the Old Covenant, and when the Old Covenant was given... But And when Moses came down from that mountain and the people had already fallen into sin, we know and we've already been taught and talked about that the old covenant brought death and 3,000 died the day that the law was given. Amen? But then later on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came and, and, and infilled and indwelled 3,000 were saved on that day. So judgment came on Mount Sinai through the law because the law condemned men to die. And and on, the, on, the, on Mount Zion, the Spirit came and 3,000 came to life. Amen? Amen? Well, if we look back in Exodus 7.20 at the first miracle of Moses... The first miracle of Moses was him putting his staff in the river and the water turning into blood, symbolizing death and destruction that the old law would bring. But if we look here in John 2, Jesus came and instead of turning water into blood, he turns water into wine, symbolizing The life, the peace, the joy in the Holy Spirit that we have available to us now because of what He's going to do and bring and establish the new covenant of His grace. He came to fulfill the old and to establish the new. He came to turn water into wine. He came to take the natural and turn it into supernatural. This was a supernatural miracle, a transformation. Jesus didn't need grapes. He didn't need dirt. He didn't need water to water the vine. He didn't need the sunshine. He could transform it all by himself. And he did. And that's what He does in a life. When He changes us from the inside out, we sang about it. It's a miracle of transformation. And He's showing us from the very first miracle at the wedding that He chose to do this miracle at. The miracle of transformation. Taking something and making it new. Taking water. And turning it into wine. Amen? Amen. Jesus uses wine. A number of different times. In fact I was reading before. And I don't even really have this in my notes. But but I mean. You know, right before he would go to pay the ultimate price, and and we have communion, and we talk about it, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Drink in remembrance of me. And as they filled that cup, and they had communion, and they partook of that bread, and they partook of that wine, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Water to wine. Natural to supernatural. Flesh to spirit. Transformation. Let's turn our Bibles to Luke 5. Luke five, verse seventeen. I'm sorry, Luke five, verse thirty six. He told them this parable. This is the parable of the new wine. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, no. New wine must be poured into new wineskins and no one after drinking old wine wants the new for they say the old is better. Now Jesus is sharing a parable. Now he's, you think he's wanting to teach them how to make wine? No. He's teaching them a spiritual principle based on knowledge of a particular subject like he did many times in the New Testament. It was something that the people were very familiar with and he used that to speak into their hearts and into their lives like he's doing here. See, new wine gives off a carbon dioxide gas. And in that day, they didn't keep wine in bottles. They kept them in wine skins, in leather skin, in goat skins, okay? So when that new wine would be put into that goat skin, it was kind of like a balloon. That carbon dioxide gas that that wine would put off would blow that bag up, that wine skin up, okay? And then after the carbon dioxide gas had stopped coming from the new wine, then they would store that wine in that wineskin. Y'all understand? So so Jesus is saying you can't put new wine into the old wineskin. Why? Because if you put that new wine into that old wineskin that had already been stretched, now that new wine is going to put off that carbon dioxide gas. And what's going to happen to that bag? That bag's going to burst, okay? Okay, it's not pliable anymore. It's already been stretched, okay? So you can't, he's saying you can't put new wine. They understood this. We understand this, right? You can't put new wine into an old wineskin because when that new wine puts off that carbon dioxide gas, it would stretch that old wineskin. You would ruin the wine and you would ruin the wineskin, amen? Amen. So that's what Jesus is sharing with them, this parable. And he's sharing about the covenants. He's sharing about the old covenant and the new covenant. Okay? You can't put this new covenant in an old system. It won't work. Okay? Because it'll stretch and you'll run the benefit of both. Okay? Now let's look at the context of the parable of new wine because I find it interesting we find Jesus at another party. Really? Man, this dude's radical. He doesn't care about religious and re- religion. I mean, he just wants to be real. And Matthew, a, a tax collector, look, the religious thought this was the, one of the most sinful occupations you could have because they were collecting money and they were keeping some of the money for themselves from the Roman government. Okay? And so so Jesus called Matthew a tax collector. So Matthew gets so hyped up and happy, he invites all his tax collector friends, invites Jesus over, and they're having a big party. Uh Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Matthew had a party for his friends and Jesus. And the Pharisees were looking, and they saw, man, they're having a party. And look, Jesus is over there with them. He's over there at this party with sinners. Can you believe he's hanging out with those sinners? Can you believe he's hanging out with those people? And they asked him questions. Trying to get him in trouble for not living up to their standard of what they thought righteousness really was. And they said, why do you eat with publicans and sinners? And he said, those that are whole don't need a physician, but those that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, or I like to say the self-righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those that recognize they need help. Not those that think they got it all together. Those that realize they can't do it without him. And then he said, why don't your disciples fast? The Pharisees' main objective was to get Jesus in trouble for not living up to their standard. And then Jesus says, new wine burst old wineskins. That's the context. And then after he begins to share that parable, you know what he begins to share? A radical new teaching. Blessed are you who hunger now. Give, and it shall judge not, and you shall not be judged. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Bless your enemies. Pray for those who despise. In this radical teaching, man, right after he shares this, see, he's introducing the principles of the new covenant of his grace. It's a spiritual kingdom based on spiritual principles and spiritual promises. But the Pharisees, they couldn't understand. And we couldn't understand before when we were in Adam because we had not been born again. We were not born of the Spirit of the Lord, so we could not understand, just like the Pharisees couldn't understand. There was one of them that came to Jesus, and you can see it right here. In John 3, 1 through 6, we find Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus in the night and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these miracles except God be with him. And Jesus cut right to the matter, didn't he? And he said, except you be born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how can a man be born twice? Can he go back into his mother's womb and be born again? He wasn't understanding. Because all they could understand was the natural. All they could understand was the system that they had been under. That's what their minds had been conditioned to think all these years. And Jesus said, except a man be born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. When you were born of your mother's womb, What happened first before you were born? Water came, didn't it? I remember when we had our first child and my wife's water broke. I didn't know what was going on. Your water broke. So the water breaks and then the natural baby, you came forth, right? I mean, I I guess unless there was a C-section, the water still break? Does it? Ladies, I mean, I hadn't had no baby. I know I know it might look like I'm pregnant sometimes, but, but okay, so it's this is I mean, so we were born naturally, okay? And we were born of our mother's womb, and the water broke, and we came forth. We were born of the water, right? right. Can we say that? Is that right? That's right. Okay? So now that we've received Christ, we have been born again. Am I right? Born of the Spirit. This is what Jesus was trying to show and tell Nicodemus. Okay? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. You want to know why you can't understand some of these things that we're talking about? Maybe you're not born of the Spirit. Maybe you need to be born again. To begin to understand, you know, some of these scriptures and what Jesus has done for you. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and of the Spirit. So let's go back. And let's try to understand again the parable of the new wine. And the old wineskin being the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of man. The natural kingdom. The new wine skin being this kingdom of God. The spiritual kingdom. See, you can't put new covenant grace into an, a cove, uh, into an old system. The old wine was the old covenant. The old wine was the old law written on tablets or stone leading to death. The new wine was the new covenant, the new law that was written on our hearts and our minds that brought life and peace and joy. See, the kingdom is not in meat and drink. It's in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The old covenant was only a shadow of the new covenant. We've got to understand that the old covenant was for the natural man. The old covenant was for the natural man to show him he had a sin nature. But the new covenant is for the born again man. It's been born of the Spirit of God. We don't need the old covenant when we're born again. When we're born again, we're not under the old law anymore. It's been fulfilled in Christ. But yet we let it slip back in. You know? we let it slip back in many times and we feel condemned, you know? And we're sin conscious, always worried about messing up. And when we mess up, we spend more time condemning ourselves instead of realizing that we're still righteous. Because what we did isn't who we really are. It's just that our minds haven't been renewed enough But if you can get your mind renewed enough to realize that you're right with God, you're the righteousness of God in Christ, then you'll start lining your life up with who you really are. Amen. Amen? Amen? It's not the opposite. You can't try to live by a system, okay? You've got to trust in a Savior, realize who you really are, and then start walking out who you really are. The old covenant was only a shadow of the new. He came to put his laws in our minds and in our hearts. Let's turn to Acts. Because even the disciples couldn't understand it. Even his closest followers didn't understand it. And I'll show you. In Acts 1. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Check this out. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They still didn't get it. They still didn't get that he had come to establish the kingdom of God. And look what he says. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even right here in Winsboro, Louisiana. Jesus answered them when they said, see, they didn't understand. They thought he would restore the kingdom of Israel. But he had come to establish the kingdom of God. And he looked at them and he said, you don't know what season it is. You don't know what season this is. You don't know what time this is. It's not time for the kingdom of Israel. It's time for the kingdom of God. I've come to establish a new covenant for my people. Wait on the promise and you shall receive power. The church today is established On the new covenant only. You can't balance new covenant grace and old covenant law. You can't balance it. I've heard, well, you got to have a just balance. You got to preach some law and you got to preach some grace. No, you don't. We're not under the law anymore if we're born again. We have been made spiritual beings, we are born again spirit people. You're not a natural man anymore. That man is dead. You are a spirit man now, or a spirit woman now, in Christ. And you're no longer subject to the old covenant law. That old covenant law was for those that were in Adam, not those that are in Christ. The Apostle Paul, he rebuked the Galatians. For mixing the two covenants. He said Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Who has bewitched you? So now that you've had faith, you're going back to works? You think that you can be justified by works now? He said the just shall live by faith. Not by works. There shall be no flesh justified by the works of the law. But by faith in Christ Jesus we are justified just as if we never sinned. We are not sinners. You are not a sinner if you're in Christ. You are a saint. You can't balance You have to preach and teach and see the old covenant for what it is. A shadow of the new. It's only pointing to the new. It's only pointing to the spiritual. You have to see it for what it is. Grace is nullified or canceled by trusting in our own works. I heard somebody the other day, well, I've done this, this, and this, and, and God hadn't done nothing for me. I've read my Bible, I came to church, I paid my tithes, I'm just going to stop this Christian thing because it don't work. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. Because you don't realize what you're doing and saying. It's, you can't earn God's favor. You can't earn God's forgiveness. Your righteousness is as filthy rags before him. And we've heard about what that is. Don't try to bring him all your good stuff. Well, Lord, I did this today. Well, Lord, I did that today. Well, Lord, I did this. You bless me, Lord. And we got this little bell. Ding, 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 ding. Lord, did you see what I just did? You better bless me. Come on, but it's sad. Many people think that way. And they think that they can earn God's favor like He's their bell boy. And you know, a lot of times He blesses them anyway. Even though they don't understand yet, He's that good. You know it? He's that merciful. And He's that gracious but you either believe and trust in Christ and what he's done for you or believe in your own works choose one brings life one brings death trusting in what you do brings death trusting in what he's done brings life amen let's look at one more verse verse 13 of Acts chapter 2 it's probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible it's it's kind of weird that it is because I'm probably the only one that it is they've already put it up Verse 13, let me set the stage. The Spirit of the Lord had come on the day of Pentecost. It fell on people, they began to utter in other tongues. All those around, they were from everywhere. So many different languages. And they started hearing their own language. Many languages being spoken when the Spirit of the Lord fell. And man, people started speaking with other tongues. Okay? On the day of Pentecost. Pentecost. And man, they were speaking with those tongues, filled with the Holy Spirit. And all these people from all these different places that spoke all these different languages began to hear in their own language. They began to hear. It's this miracle happening. And this is what was prophesied by Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. And the spirit's being poured out. And so the religious in that day... It says they were all amazed and were doubt, saying to one another, what does this mean? And in verse 13 of chapter 2, it says others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. They didn't realize what they were saying, but it was really true because they were full of the new wine of the new covenant. They had been born of the Spirit of God. And you know what? They realized for the first time, I believe, because you see Peter just days before denying Christ. Now he has the boldness to get up and preach, and 3,000 were saved when he preached the word. You know, I think they had an immediate revelation when they were born again. When they were born of the Spirit of God, they realized. That it's not about us. It's not about our system. It's not about our good works. It's not about whether we're good or bad. He's good. And He has filled us. And now we're trusting in what He's done. And because we are, we can boldly proclaim the Word of God. We can live for the Lord. We can live in victory because of what He's... I realize who I am now. I realize who I've created to be now. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. They had a revelation. When the Spirit of God came upon them and they knew who they were in Christ and they began to spread the gospel, this is why Jesus told them to wait on the promise of the Father. They were drunk. They were drunk. Look, get drunk. Get drunk. On new wine. Don't get religious on me. I'm talking about the new wine of the new covenant. Let it get on the inside of you. And know who you are in Christ Jesus. And never listen to the lie of the enemy. To confuse you and to condemn you for who you were. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My old man died that day when Jesus died. And I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And you are a new creation. Now we have the power and the authority to spread this gospel. We have the authority of the Lord Jesus to spread this gospel And to tell people about the new covenant of His grace. It's not judgment that will bring people to knowing Christ. But it's His goodness. And it's His grace. And it's His love. And it's His compassion. And it's His mercy. It's goodness of God that leads to repentance. A change of the way you've been conditioned to think. Amen? Amen.